On this episode of SSI Executive Conversations, Darwin meets with Ray Kazmarek, founder of OC Biotech Consultants. They discuss operational excellence, operational flow and dynamics, and the Pareto Principle. Well, we couldn't be more excited today to welcome Ray Kazmarek to the SSI Executive Podcast, uh, SSI Executive Conversations Podcast, and our first live in studio podcast, which I'm extremely excited about. So uh, Ray, incredible background, a seasoned professional with over 30 years of experience in operational leadership, strategic management in the pharmaceutical and biotech industries. Ray's navigated various stages of drug manufacturing and business operations, overseeing diverse therapies such as radiopharmaceuticals, stem cells, mRNA, and viral vector-based therapies, just to name a few. Um, holding executive positions, he scaled and established multiple businesses while demonstrating expertise in manufacturing and supply chain management, along with uh, all aspects of leadership, really. With a military background, Ray brings a dedicated and service-oriented approach to his work, previously serving as a combat engineering officer in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So currently, he provides strategic advisory and consultative services leveraging his extensive experience to guide organizations through the operational challenges and then drive success in the industry. So, Ray, thanks so much for being here to share your uh, background and expertise with our following. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, it's exciting to be here live. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Absolutely. I am as well. Well, let's just dive right in. I know uh, you and I both share a passion for quality and outcomes and how OpEx ties into that. So why don't we just start with you kind of defining operational excellence from your perspective? So operational excellence is many things, right? From a textbook portion to it, to how you may want to say, oh, it's, a, it's just a form or fit or communication pattern. I view the operational excellence really as a business culture. So what do I mean by business culture? That means everybody from the C-suite down to the new person that's starting the janitor on the floor, whatever you want to say, has to understand a little bit about what is the communication pattern mm. of the organization. How are we going to make decisions? How are we going to investigate things? When things do fail, these are the types of tools we would use. These are the expectation of those tools. And the language now becomes common. Mm. And the key thing for me with a business culture, it allows you to communicate. And when you can communicate, you can move, you can maneuver, you can be nimble. So it doesn't matter how big or small you are, the inability to communicate actually is what drives the inefficiencies. So business culture, first and foremost, and within that, it'll drive communication standards. It'll drive investigational pieces and expectations. Um, it finds, help you define what the definition of done needs to be for a step. Right. You know, if you were saying this has to be at this type of a standard, you know, you've done these check pieces, it gives you an idea from one organization, say R&D, into engineering, into manufacturing. They should have a very common understanding of what they're talking about and what that product looks like. So now you have various organizations with different missions within your company. Absolutely. Able to communicate. But more importantly, I think at the end of it, it empowers people to make decisions, empowers people to call out pro programs, process issues, things that they've seen drives people to action. You know, you don't just keep doing the same thing over and over. You do a review, you commit to a change, you make the change, you do it again. So again, operational excellence for me and how I define it is clearly a business culture issue. 
I think there's so much about what you just said that is, is so smart. And from a communication standpoint, right, if you don't have commonality, you know, if people are speaking different languages, how are you going to create efficiencies, especially across departments? And each department with that commonality, uh, leadership is top down, right, mm -hmm. in terms of how you execute and how you work together. If you don't understand common language and how, then you're not going to know how to partner together. And you're certainly uh, probably not going to do as well a job of reaching across the aisle and making sure you understand what is important to them and then how you work together to create solutions. Yeah, driving business processes. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, operational excellence is around processes. Everything's there, whether it's a business, a GMP based or whatever we want to call it, you know, and how we how we interact and just standards as we start doing those processes and designs. The companies will function. New people come in. They can look at a process map, understand a decision point, be trained on something, and actually have an idea of what should occur before it even does. So. I think that's one of the areas where you and I um, are very similar in our thought process because if you have true best practices, mm -hmm. then you should constantly be looking at what your processes are for improvement so that you can actually have true best practices, right? But if you have those in place, and then you do a great job of delineating between cultural fit and the actual technical area in each function so that you get people that not only can do the skill you want, but they are have high emotional intelligence, they're problem solvers, and the uh, their personal why matches the mission statement. There's a passion there. You're going to have most likely higher employee engagement and less wasted resources. So, so operational excellence as a business culture drives a few things. There's a couple of statements that I've always made in operations and made it as a CEO. Uh, you know, we do things safely, correctly, on time, every time. Right. right. And I had a former CEO that defined it in a little bit different way. And you got to love sales guys. <laughs> but what they come in is never, ever put a person or patients in harm way. Right. Do the right thing. And do something. Right. And then we always would laugh at the do something thing. <laughs> so, but all he's basically saying is the same thing is we are a team of action. So if you follow, you know, the, the etiquette of I do something, complete a task, we take five minutes and review it. What did we do well? What did we not? Uh -huh. Do we commit to make a change before the cycle hits again? Right. That's it. And you can do it from a business process. You can do it within a conversation. You can have a bad meeting. You probably should stand behind and have a conversation about how did it go awry. Right. And you start eliminating those things. Or you can even have a manufacturing process, a QC method, something that comes through, a failure, what comes into a warehouse, right? So down to the real tactical pieces where people think, well, that's just where OPEX sits. No, it sits throughout their culture. Absolutely. So as, as we enforce that and we think about it that way, it hits the safely, correctly, on time, every time mantra and drives it through the organization from top to bottom. But it, like I say, as, as my old CEO would say, never ever put a patient in harm's way, do the right thing, and then just do something. Do something, so, even, if, even if it's right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's if you're learning, it's better than, it's better than doing nothing, right? We can yes. guarantee one thing, no, no action means nothing will occur. Absolutely. That's what you know. And, Action it with the right intent and understanding of risk will usually get you a positive outcome. Absolutely. But maybe not perfect. Right. And then that's the, that's the growing point. And one of the things I thought about as you were talking about that is how many scenarios where people get in trouble where they're collecting data, but they're not even evaluating it. That's right. They're, they're not looking at outcomes or 
they get a, an observation and they put a CAPA in place and then nobody ever executes on the CAPA. So they get in trouble. So, um, well, let's, let's go to the next, I think we yeah. could, we could talk about oh, yeah, that just for a while. Right. But so let's, let's think about, I'd love to get your thoughts on how do companies create issues with, uh, improper definitions of, of, of how they look at OPEX. So, and then maybe dive in a little bit deeper with operational flow and dynamics. So in essence, when I either I'm asked to come in and help somebody from an engagement standpoint, or I've taken over a company or a segment come in and replace the operations to scale it, what I typically see first and foremost is operational excellence is viewed at just this part of the company that does it, right? For example, only manufacturing and quality do root cause analysis. Right. Okay. That's truly not true, but if they're the only ones that follow a Kempner-Trago analysis or uh, Ishikawa diagram or what, well, they, it's really structured because of the types of deviations and things that they may do will be reviewed. Will be go through regulatory review, goes through customer review if you're a service customer, that type of thing. But the business process should follow an RCA mm -hmm. when things fail. Absolutely. And I'll give you an example there. It. As a CEO coming in, first question I ask my senior team is, how is a new product or service introduced to this company? What's the process? Who owns it? Who's driving it? How do we communicate? What's the standards of communication? And that question was just to understand, do we understand operational excellence and communication? And I can tell you, every company I've come into, with the exception of one, couldn't answer that question when wow. we started because they all had their own mindset of how a new product should start and where it should be and how you do it. And until we step back, so they and weren't all it, on the same page yeah, and with their definition. Until you stop back and stop and map it, you don't have any advantage over your competitor. Right. Whether it's a therapeutic company that wants to be first to market, if you don't understand how you're going to drive those sections and sections and sections, you're spending more time in, in your organizational portions of it and less time in your execution, right? Versus somebody else in like services. If I want to be the first for service or better yet, my clients are telling me I need these new assays for this biological product. How do we want to go and bring them in? Mm -hmm. Is it I just give it the guy on the floor and pray? No, <laughs> there's a process. Right. And again, it's the, the say. So when I start looking at how do you communicate, how do you drive that? So at that level, you always see it's viewed first and foremost when you see this function as it's only one section of the business does this, okay? All of the business to understand it. Maybe there's different levels that people execute, but it's still the same thing. Failure should drive an after-action review, and after-action review should drive some sort of a discussion, root cause analysis. Then there should be correction to what caused the, caused the failure. Right. Why would you keep beating your head against the wall? If you're going to, if you keep missing on your sales numbers, what's driving that? Are we selling to the right people? Are we looking at the right things? Root cause analysis. The data helps drive that analysis. Uh -huh. The tools are there. So, so when you start thinking through it in that way, top to bottom, it is not in place. And that's what we would see. There's several things that came to mind there. And uh, you and I talked about Karen Posey, who we just dropped her podcast, which was fantastic. And, you know, focusing on coaching 
CEOs on how to make decisions so that sustainable, profitable growth and how that ties into voice of the customer and how often sometimes companies and organizations aren't necessarily sure who their customer is or they're not focused there. And um, I did the presentation uh, with Greenlight Gurus conference and John LaHaye was one of the uh, uh, commercial consultants uh, that I interacted with to get prepared for that. And some of the work that he'd done, he's working with a company and they're telling him, this is our customer and they don't really know who their customer is, right? So there's a lot of different examples of that. So I think in terms of what you talk about, it's the same, it's very similar in terms of process. You have to know where that value is and who the stakeholders are. And if you're not evaluating that, to your point, doing the same thing over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Expecting a different result, result, definition of insanity. So let's, let's move to discussing scenarios. So you've had a lot of different interactions where you've come in to identify, as you talked about a minute ago, right? You come in, you first understand what everybody's perspective is and try to define what the process is. So maybe talk about how you identify misalignment and then how do you fix it in terms of breaking down those process flows and then reassigning, getting everybody on the same page and building it back up. So I'll actually start with, I said that with the exception of the one company, I'll start with the example of success. And within that success, it starts with a big failure. So as when I came in to work with this company, it was a conjugated vaccine. And they had to, they basically needed to double within the year, double the production. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the ability to, to build more of the facilities out. It'll take 18 to 24 months from the stick build. They have equipment coming in. So we had to come up with how you do that. Well, the reason they were having the inefficiencies when you start breaking it down is the number of deviations that would I would consider in our control were well over 280 in a year. Okay, so that means that that person had been pointed out and said, you did this wrong and that's why it failed. Yeah. Okay, but is it 280? So that's where you say, okay, well, there's a great set of data now where you can do problems. And you start looking at, okay, what else is holding you up? Well, we can't get things released in time. Well, 600 pages of manual badge record for one of these types of lots. Okay, defects per million opportunities in the menu, that manufacturing record was calculated to be over 20,000 defects per million. Pretty high, but the, okay, that means there are a lot of corrections. Right. It's manual. Okay, well, no one really focused on it. And then you start looking at maintenance and downtimes issues, how the business was scheduling, how it was flowing, but yet, oh, the equipment failed. The equipment failed. The equipment failed. Equipment should never fail. Right. And when we start thinking about it, is it designed appropriately? Is it maintained appropriately? Yeah. You start putting it down to there's a process missing. Right. Okay. So in each one of these scenarios and you could say, okay, well, what did this company do extraordinarily well? First is we basically step back and say, okay, in our control deviations, you own, you're going to lead the investigation summary after the deviation to do the after action review to start with. And then it's going to be assigned based on level, that commitment. And if I need somebody that's for root cause analysis, that's extremely skilled because of the type of failure versus we figured it out in the after action review. And it really was shifting two or three steps in a batch record. So it's a just do it before the next batch. Just do it. Right. The action is now driving it. This training comes behind and everything else. Within the year, in our control deviations, we're down to three. From over 200, 
280 down to three. We took the time to listen to the people. What bad triggered steps? What gives you confusion? Yeah, we looked at lots that were lost. We lost in one step. It's just a, a crowd protective step. Lost four lots because it's a manual addition of a crowd protective into a product. How do you screw it up? They screw up the calculation. Well, human factoring. Well, if I do independent calculations off things and I do independent checks, there's a high probability you're going to catch things if, if people follow it with the right behavior and do the, do the work. So we stressed the behavior, separated the record accordingly, didn't lose another one for the next three years that I was there. And they were losing plus every year for that. Well, that alone right there is worth over $15 million just to the company, you know, just not throwing that away. So, right. so as you think about that, plus action that was needed, everything was being made because the vaccine was selling billions of dollars and they were only making hundreds of thousands. So, you know, they've got to really get to the point where you figure that portion out. So doing those types of things, batch record reductions went to 65 defects per million in a manual batch record. Now, I will tell you the batch record actually got bigger, but because it got bigger and how they filled it out and they grayscaled and they aligned steps and they, they made it so the significant figures were clearly laid out so people understood what you report, how you do it. It was so much easier to train somebody and it's so much easier to take a 20-year employee and go back over something with them. Right. Because now the common, common language. Right. And it's easy to read. It's easy to understand. It's easy to review. So you're, so you're making things where humans fail because of complexity or interpretation. And is it really at that point you can say, well, it's all human error and Joe should know how to do this. Joe's not the only one missing this. It really is a process. And if we focus on process and take people out of this a little bit, the emotion goes away. The work starts occurring. And then you start hearing from the guy, hey, I really don't like this step and this is why. And then that's, okay, now I have employee engagement and power map. Absolutely. Yeah. They're willing to make changes. They're willing to align it. They're willing to sit with the process engineers and the process scientists and give them a list of feedback, right? So now you're seeing that, that move. And then you get back to the next piece of maintenance. Well, why was it failing? Well, they were delaying PMs because we didn't have time. We didn't do that scheduling, scheduling software, the right types of things that you would want to put in. Once you establish those lines and the expectations, and then the next piece of that is optimization of that schedule allowed us to go from three shift or a three shift operation on five days to seven, go from making three batches to seven batches and some, some weeks eight because of the time piece and holding the standard of how often you can turn that. We knew what the maximum output could be per week. That's your goal. Right. Your goal is 100%. Yeah. Some days you win, some days you lose. But if you're at 95, it's a great week. But what kept us at the 5%? Now I'm looking at risk and I'm looking at my forecast and I'm looking at how those things are coming in. So training the organization to start planning, to risk identifying, all those things all come out of basic operational excellence tools pieces Process flow map. There you go. There's your process map. This is all the points. Oh, we can fix this, 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 and resequence this. And all of a sudden, instead of taking 32 hours, we're down to 17 hours to do it by just putting people in different places and starting processes in a different way. And I have compliance because I have the right people in the right places for sign-offs. Right. And I have the most critical steps covered by leadership that needs to be there. 
quality knows where they got to be. So they're in there communicating now. So a standard practice of communication. All in all, it took three full years to get everything in. But again, after the first year, the strides were incredible. And you start seeing how that engagement takes off. I had two senior employees that when I first started there, I actually thought I was going to have to terminate them because they had so many errors in deviation because they were the ones doing everything. But what I also found is human behavior comes out. Ah. When these individuals work together, they were horrible to work together. They just didn't. Well, because they, they trust and they violate GMPs. They were doing that. And we had to put an end to that very quickly. Because, oh, they, yeah, he turned the valve. Well, he's been doing this for 20 years. You, you turned the valve. It looked like it was turned. No, no. Physically go check it. Put these behavior in. Force that. But because they were senior, they led the project. They led the training. So nobody the was, piece. there was no checks and balances. And then you, then you separate the two, two different shifts. Never saw a deviation from them again. And they would lead the teams. So and they really didn't know what they were doing. It's just the comfort level, the poor behaviors, the things that weren't being reinforced. But that is part of the operational excellence, right? We do what we say we're going to do. We check where we're supposed to be. So it's not just a GMP side. When you look back to the other groups that are involved, validation has to requalify things because we find out things are done. Engineering restructured stuff, upsizes two or three things, brings in larger columns, um, you know, gives us the ability to scale up a process where the bottlenecks are without having to spend hundreds of millions to do it, right? And we have to get it done quickly. So it really is, what equipment can I put in place and how? And then you're looking at the designs for that. Um, the oversight portion of it changes, how we provide oversight, right? It starts forcing people to be what I like to call fully developed adults. All right. They have right. to make decisions. They don't, they're not babysat. They understand that they have to be where they're supposed to be. And they need to understand what they do to know where that is. And if you have those processes in place, it right, drives all those things. And then you focus on bringing yeah. the right talent in that's mm -hmm. going to work together. And, uh, you know, my, my friend Bernie Haffey always talks about voice the customer first, voice the employee second. And then voice the stakeholder third. And as you just talked about those batch records and the, and the complexity, um, you know, 17% of phase three clinical trials fail due to safety and uh, not meeting clinical efficacy. 70% of clinical efficacy, efficacy failures issues. One of those is because the protocol development is too complex. So, you know, the vital few having processes, it's, it's hard to do a lot of things well. So, People, as you always as you said, right, having commonality in language, having the right leadership, having the right processes in place, and then the talent, you're going to have better outcomes. So, so you're saying, okay, this is a therapeutics-based company and you're manufacturing. You could be in a service-based company, raw materials manufacturing. But let's go talk about the decision-making process, right? If you have a standard decision-making process and drugs go in clinical trials, you know, I've seen drug from discovery through pre-IND process and data to IND all the way through commercial launch. And then basically what I saw, the pharmacovigilance, the redone, the additional clinical trials that you would do from a safety piece as you go through it, and life cycle management. So I've had the ability to touch it all in the U.S., Southeast Asia, Europe, yeah. you name it. I've probably been in and out, seen, some, seen most of those things in a variety of stuff. But what it all comes down to is the groups that I've observed and participated in that do it well have processes and stage gates. 
They have key decisions that have to be met before it goes to the next thing. People go, oh, that's just a pain. It takes up too much time. Oh, you're well, you can either repeat it, right? fail the clinical, clinical trial because you had bad endpoints and a yeah. good product, and that happens all the time. Absolutely. Or you can try to go file it and not have all the data because you didn't assess that well and just said, oh, I'll see what happens. Well, I'll tell you, you're going to get a letter back that says, I don't have this. You just named three of the top seven reasons why. It, 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 it that's, what, that's what you see by not having the rigor and discipline to drive it, okay? And then as, a, as the chief executive, I'd be accountable for making sure that's in place. So I would hate to be that guy right? if those things are consistently happening because it's the team underneath you has to engage that same excellence process. Business excellence and the operational excellence are hand-in-hand and getting back in culture. But it's the same type of thing. You have a standard why is it failing? What is it is? What's what's my communication? What's my standard language? Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a PhD scientist that's the smartest guy in the room when it comes to this chemical compound or this biological process or whatever it's going to be. Everybody relies on your data to be correct. They grant you that, mm-hmm. right? They question what doesn't align because that's their responsibility. Ego can't be in this, right? You know, you get into those processes, and that's where everything starts to team now. But you, without it, yeah, that doesn't look quite right. And hey, is it there? We never got that. And we get to the end, and now everybody's pointing fingers. The process failed. Ultimately, the guy at the top or the lady at the top—they're responsible. And it's, it's there. You go. If you if you have transactional in, you're going to get transactional, transactional out. And how important what you just talked about, and then. From my perspective, tying in, if your talent management strategies, attraction, efficiency, if those are poor and yes. how you do it, then you're going to have poor retention. You're going to have poor employee engagement. If you have talent, it can be a 12 out of 10. They can be fantastic, but they have low emotional intelligence. They have low temperament. They don't play well with others, right? And they're not coachable. Then it doesn't, it, it, your, your processes, as good as they are, are going to be challenged if you don't have yeah. the right talent. And what, what, I, what I also like about, Companies that try to drive business culture through people empowerment and tools and communication and, and really do that. What, what I see in engagement is when you do have some people that may not understand how to communicate well, right? There's not a nice way to say it, right? <laughs> but it just no one wants to talk to them, right? This, right. this guy just get What it allows you to do is get, you to get, a, get them to a common focus, a common issue, a common failure mode, or... What is the challenge where we go and we lay this out? Same thing, because I'm going to do risk identification and potentially root cause analysis to the gaps that we have in our company on how we want to solve that. That moves us forward. Same thing. I can take somebody with lower emotional intelligence, drive them into a process and work through that. Ultimately, the company has to help level up the person Absolutely. or the yeah. person's going to have to go find excellence elsewhere because it will create a problem in the long run, but there are ways to then start incorporating multiple personalities and start trying to soften edges on people that are still developing. Because you know, you're paid for behavior. You know, you're, paid, you're paid for that. And at the end of the day, the result is the requirement of the executive team. So it, it, I used to have, I had a baseball coach, and as we kept going through, he goes, you know, you can like me, you can hate me, but just win, baby, Right. <laughs> If, if you're dealing with private equity, venture capitalists, they have goals. 
Absolutely. And they may not align with your business, but at the end of the day, they're driving a lot of what needs to happen because they need to achieve their goals. So a goal alignment and then solving the gaps and driving that piece is just as much, again, a part of this thing is business processes have to start meeting operations processes over the same and then how it goes out externally now is where I say that's your next level of how you work as an operational excellence is with external people and then your service customers. If you're therapeutic and you're working with a service provider, you got to have that built in. So I've, I've come across some extraordinarily good companies at driving services and service providers to be better and providing them with tools and teaching them the communication and how they're going to do the business meetings and stuff. And everybody's in a common language. And I can tell you, their projects go well. More efficient. Because they use, they use the tools they're supposed to use. They do root cause analysis and they follow the basic steps for both business as well as operations. And when something fails, the first question is, well, what did you do? No, it's let's discuss what happened and have we gone through the process of an after action review and initial root cause analysis. It's not... Again, what did you do wrong? Right. What did you do wrong? It's we start it's focusing like on team focus. Yeah, we then, we focus on that. There will always be accountability in operational excellence because eventually somebody's got to raise their hand and say, "Well, yeah, I didn't turn the valve." If they didn't turn the valve, it's pretty obvious, right? So when you get those, there's things you obviously, have. but sometimes it is a bad raw material. It is something that comes through and slips through, which means now I have to have better supply chain better testing methods, higher quality material, where sometimes the material is too good yeah. and the product changes because the, the attributes and how we did the process and now we're redeveloping a process with the, with the new material you have. Those things are tough to always follow, but that's part of what you start saying, following the data, having the process in place. To me, that's part of that quality system management piece. It's, it's inherent. There's no difference between in my mind, a quality system is a backbone of what we put in, right? But they align with all the principles of these types of things we look at and how we run a, run a system. That's important, but it, again, translates up. Data translates up, decisions translate up, and now we're back and forth with the same common language. So one of my next questions, and you really spoke to it, so I think maybe we can go in a, a little bit deeper here, but in terms of if you have the right processes in place and then your ability to coach people. So it allows people to make mistakes. Yes. Right. Instead of, to your point, pointing fingers, who did this, who did that? Um, people aren't hurt by mistakes. A deviation isn't necessarily a bad thing because yeah. you identified it and you now have a process in place to improve it and eliminate it in the future. And maybe uh, I, I'm, I'm big on, you know, delineation of the interview process, uh, in terms of evaluating culture and whatever that technical aptitude is in that functional area. But the other thing is companies that have career ladders, mm -hmm. again, have higher employee engagement, understanding where's my opportunity for growth vertically, horizontally. Um, and so I think maybe you could speak to that a little bit because I think yeah. that's a really important point. Yeah. And I think uh, at different levels, right? Different level companies have different challenges. The more advanced company I've been around for 10 years, I'm, maybe I'm 100, 200 million, maybe I'm 5 billion. They're probably going to have career ladders, advancement, all these things because they've, they've had the ability to add a lot of resources. Right. But then you got to start up where 10 people, 15 people. Well, I mean, there's only so much I could promote you from a year to year, right? Right. I, I 
you've been out of school for five years. I can't make you the executive vice president right yet. You know, I'd love to be able to do it. You just, you're missing about 18 to 20 years of a lot <laughs> of experience and a lot of different things in your field that people will expect you to have if I gave you that title. Um, you know, we can give a title to anybody. It's just you have to execute when you get that title. Uh, and, and that's part of the learning phases. So as, as I start looking at, like you're saying, talent retention and acquisition, it starts pointing it out very quickly because it's, again, the process will say, okay, we run through this, we determine that. Now there's, there's a difference between, you know, Ray not turning the valve, right, versus, okay, I had a malfunction that led to this that drove a deviation, right? Or um, I'm starting to, I'm dumping the material into the, into, to make my buffer and halfway through because it's a manual process, it slips a little bit and it spills out on top of the tank. Well, that's a deviation and you're either going to remake it or you got to, you know, you got to figure out if you have a tolerance for pH or whatever it is, but you, can you measure it? Probably not. So you're probably going to remake it, but now you're on time delays, now scheduling delays, all those things. You have to understand things do happen. People will do things on a manual piece. Automate. Automation is very easy, but if you make a program extraordinarily difficult, I can guarantee you you'll see more mistakes in automation than you will be in manual because I'm trying to go through screens and figure stuff out. And, and you know, you've you got to be some careful people, with too much complexity. Yeah. Well, you, you, yeah. Somebody's going to sit there and they're going to spend 20 minutes trying to go through and flip through screens when all I needed was a software engineer to come in and look at it and go, okay, you do this at this step. All this needs to happen press that button and when that's done you confirm that all this is there and that valves actually actuated the screen says they did you do have to check because sometimes you get a limit switch or something goes bad or it looks like it did or the valve didn't move you can see if it's open or closed in these automated things so when the critical steps that's what the operator does they understand the process and then they advance it through if it fails well there's a deviation that john was working on right so there's a difference between not following good behavior, having an accident, and just having poor behavior. Yeah, Me absolutely. not turning the bottom valve, that's probably the only conversation I'm going to have with my supervisor. Because the next time, <laughs> I should not be there. Right. But I should know that I let everybody else down. I don't have to have the I told you so conversation. It's, it's the standards. And that's where what I love about once you start putting in these process flows and expectations and behaviors and expectations, it's a standard for how we do business. And everybody is either you're in or you're out. And if uh, you're out, okay. us, we'll help you find something else. Because yes. if it's not what you like to do, then don't spend your time there because life's too short not to be happy. And uh, Absolutely. it allows you to have that conversation too. And you know, the Pareto principle is light and well. And so I think that's why it is so much, why it is so important that how you evaluate and that somebody's personal why, what mm -hmm. they, what they're passionate about. Uh, if you're passionate about aerospace, should you be working in biotech? Maybe not, right? Yep. And so in terms of how those integrate and what you just talked about, I think that's so smart. Uh, you need people that have the right skill set, that they have emotional intelligence, they have the right temperament. They want to come together because you're going to have higher employee engagement. You're going to have less issues and uh, greater efficiency. So it was like sitting with startups, a lot of things that you'll always come into, um, 
again, when you start with employee five, seven, 10, whatever you end up being, it putting basic processes in place usually means when I start, I've got like 10 of these things on my shoulders. Having the intelligence to understand that the business is going to hit certain time periods and points where work's going to change, the expertise needed has to change. That's the same thing. It's reevaluating where you are, reevaluating the steps and the milestones and the achievements and what's causing that. And then when you're not moving something forward, having the honest, let's have an after action review or let's do a root cause analysis. Well, we come to find out that 90% of everything's being signed off by one person. Yeah. That is going to be a failure mode and it can only stay for so long. And I need to wrap that person in a bubble wrap and make sure that they don't step off a curb and twist <laughs> their ankle and do all these other things or right. they shut down the business. Right. Uh, so, so that's a huge risk. Operational excellence says define that risk, figure out how you're going to offset that have those types of things because it's such a key risk that can actually impact the business. So again, at the leadership level, it starts informing you. And if you're doing these discussions and again, we have bad meetings, we have a bad milestone, we have a bad outcome and really being honest about what are some of the contributing factors and what's really driving that. A lot of times you'll find it's structure. Mm -hmm. Talent is in the wrong spot, right? Or it's just, that's not the right talent for that role. But you know what? I've never done engineering before in my life, but somebody's got to make sure the lights stay on and I'll just do it. Well, this point is you're at a point where you're doing capital projects and $30 million is going to be committed to this and you've never seen a clean room designed in your life, but yet you're responsible for signing off on it. You got the wrong, you got the wrong guy, right? Yes, yes. And at that point, we should be smart enough to say this is a skills match and this is this is an issue and now i'm starting to see process quality but performance all performance failure sometimes isn't that i have a bad person it's back to that i might not have them in the right spot or they're trying to do right. too much and you can call it the hero complex or whatever but there's so much engaged in wanting to be able to do that as the company grows they don't see where they actually need to disengage and hand it off to somebody at the next level they don't know what they don't know. And it's we have a, a uh, webinar coming up here in a couple of weeks on top five reasons why companies succeed and top five reasons why they fail. And you just, again, spoke to a couple of those. Um, so I think, I mean, we could talk about that for another yeah. time. But thank you so much for your time and, you know, sharing your expertise with our following. Uh, I, I think we might have to consider, you know, maybe in the third or fourth quarter, have, having a, a second or maybe think about a webinar from this because I think this was fantastic and I really appreciate your time. I appreciate being here. It's always, always a joy to talk about these types of things. And again, uh, it's, it's more important that we were able to share our experiences because what people do, whether it's in devices, therapeutics, whatever, let's, let's we're saving lives. We're better together. And we're better together. And Shared that's where knowledge. we go. So, so in my opinion, you know, the more we can share, the more we can do. It's, it's about we, but it really is about and the, in the time In the time of the metaverse and yeah. with interoperability and all the opportunities to look at data and actually learn from it uh, from a clinical outcome standpoint, I think you're spot on. Yeah, li life's changing. <laughs> For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureXSolutions.com. And follow us on social media and LinkedIn at Sharing Solutions.